Live from the WLI-WFM studio in Southampton, New York, I'm Gianna Volpe. On Tuesday, February 6th, 2024, a judge yesterday upheld New York's law to allow early voting by mail, rejecting a challenge by the state Republican Party and a number of elected Republican officials. Justice Christina Reba of the state Supreme Court in Albany County ruled the Early Mail Voter Act, which permits all qualified voters to vote early by mail rather than in person, is constitutional. Yancey Roy reporting on Newsday.com that Justice Reba rejected Republicans' argument that the New York Constitution strictly requires voting in person unless a person is sick or out of town on Election Day. She also said the Constitution gives the state legislature and governor broad power to establish laws governing the manner and method of voting, including authority to permit mail as a method of early voting. The Early Mail Voter Act was signed into law by Governor Kathy Hochul in September. It included provisions Democratic leaders said would make voting easier and improve New York's traditionally low turnout. Among the changes, the bill altered the law to allow mail-in voting without an excuse during the early voting period before election days to any registered voter who requests one. Traditional absentee ballots still can be cast beyond the early voting period. In other news, widespread delays in processing applications for food stamps and other key assistant programs by Suffolk's understaffed Department of Social Services last year meant some County residents waited months for help, records show. Nicholas Spangler reporting on Newsday.com that federal law entitles eligible households to food stamps, formal name being Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, within 30 days of application. For applicants with scarce resources, that deadline is even shorter. But between June and November of last year, Suffolk failed to process at least 1,000 SNAP applications each month within the 30-day deadline, according to New York State Welfare Management Systems uh, reports obtained by the Empire Justice Center, an Albany-based legal advocacy organization. For each month from June to November, Suffolk's on-time performance was among the worst in the state, according to spreadsheets that Empire Justice compiled, comparing county-by-county data from the reports. County officials said the Department of Social Services, like many such departments nationwide, face staffing shortages and an increased caseload that have made it difficult to process applications on time. In Montauk, fire badly damaged a waterfront cottage off East Lake Drive on Monday morning. Michael Wright reporting on 27East.com that it took firefighters more than two hours to completely extinguish fire, which was called in by neighbors at 8.41 a.m. yesterday. Quote, it was fully involved. When I got there, flames were coming out the windows and through the roof. It was pretty intense. That quote from Montauk Fire Chief Kenneth Glog. The cottage, which overlooks Lake Montauk, is occupied, but there was nobody and no pets home when the fire broke out. Chief Glog said no firefighters were injured. It took them about two and a half hours to extinguish the fire and ensure there were no smoldering embers inside the Amagansett Fire Department and East Hampton Fire Department. Both sent men and equipment to help the Montauk firefighters. East Hampton Town Fire Marshals are investigating the cause of the fire. 
Um, you know what? Let's read the weather. I'll, I'll save this last news item for the second hour, and I'll read the weather in East Hampton in honor of our guests this morning, Anthony, Madonna, and Brianna Hernandez, just because I think I just saw Brianna walking up, and I, I hate to keep people in the cold. So I'm going to read the weather and uh, get the music started this morning. Well, we're actually not starting with music, but that's an aside. Okay, so partly sunny today in East Hampton with a high near 39 degrees. Wind chill values between 20 and 30. North wind 11 to 14 miles per hour tonight, mostly cloudy with a low just below freezing 30 degrees. Wind chill values well below that 20 and 25. Northeast wind around 10 miles per hour. Right now it is fair and freezing, 32 degrees and fair skies. I see the sun and oh my gosh, how I've missed thee. All right, Daniel Goldman and Michael Lerner. I really wanted to hear what these guys had to say as I was previewing the tracks. This is called Ecological Intelligence. We've got uh, Ja Shaka and Mad Professor's Ecological Dub up next. It's the Eco vs. Ego edition of The Heart, all in honor of the Eco vs. Ego show at Guild Hall. We're going to find out all about it in just a few minutes here on The Heart Morning and Midnight Show on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love. I think that's exactly right. I think in a curious way, what you're talking about is that we need not only emotional intelligence and social intelligence, but also ecological intelligence, that we need all three levels. That the first, of course, is regulating our internal processes. The second is how we support and nourish ourselves as communities. And then the third is how we support and nourish ourselves as a species that counts on the integrity of the planet. So I believe this suggestion that we move toward certification and labeling for carbon footprint, for toxic chemicals, for other issues of concern, justice and the conditions under which things are manufactured, I think it's a beautiful concept. A depth recognition from our deepest being that maintaining the integrity of the web of life is a primary value for us. By the web of life, I mean that ultimately all life on earth is one in a very deep sense. The concept of Gaia, that the whole earth is a living system, reflects that idea. But also that we are so deeply dependent on the well-being of ecosystems and the individual species in them. I was talking with Peter Goldmark, the former president of the Rockefeller Foundation, who is now the director of the climate change work at Environmental Defense. He was telling me that one of the things that's taking place is the acidification of the oceans. As the oceans become more acid because of their storing carbon, I don't understand all the specifics, but they are becoming more acid, there is the possibility that some of the tiniest creatures in the ocean the acid may pull the carbon structure out of them. Again, I don't have the science exact, but it may interrupt the food chain in the oceans at some very, very fundamental level. If the food chain is interrupted at that level, then all the subsequent levels that feed on those substrate of the food chain will be deeply disrupted and may disappear. So it may seem to us that 
we won't be directly affected by the acidification of the oceans, that somehow it's remote, that that may affect the bottom of the food chain in the ocean, and yet it can have the most profound effect. So there are these deep biological resonances that reverberate all the way up from the bottom of the food chain to us, and we live at the top of the food chain. And that's the web of life. So ecological intelligence in this example might be, for instance, recognizing that the choice between driving a car that spews a lot of carbons into the air versus going places other ways or getting a different kind of car, maybe a hybrid car, has consequence in what happens to the ocean, which in turn affects plankton, which then affects everything that eats plankton and other microorganisms, which is a vast majority of fish which are also fed on by other fish, which means that an entire range of species could die if I, and then a multiple of me, everyone else, continues as we are. And so I have to change. That would be an example of ecological intelligence. It is. And when we think about ecological intelligence, it's more than simply cognitive knowledge. For example, when you talk about emotional intelligence, or social intelligence, you're not talking about just cognitive knowledge. You're talking about deep forms of experiential knowing that are so resonant for us that they affect the whole way we see ourselves, see those we love, see our communities. I'm suggesting that we need to reconnect, to remember that relationship to the earth, which was our original understanding in original peoples, that original peoples tend to have what is often called a, quote, enchanted relationship with the earth. But it's not an enchanted relationship with the earth in the negative or derogatory sense of that. It is a felt sense of oneness with the web of life. We lost that in the course of evolution. Somehow we need to recover that felt experience of oneness with the web of life. On that note, Michael, I, I want that. to thank you for joining me. You've just made this gorgeous day a little more gorgeous. Oh. And it's a privilege and an honor beautiful. to be with you. That's exactly how I feel about welcoming on our first guests, Anthony Madonna and thank Brianna Hernandez. That was Daniel Goleman and Michael Lerner talking ecological intelligence. I did make an eco versus ego playlist this morning, and I am honored to have both Anthony and Brianna on to talk about Eco versus Ego at Guild Hall. Uh, this show is underwritten by Peconic Landing and Southampton Arts Center. Good morning, my friends. Good morning. Good morning. So, did that touch a little bit on the topics of Eco versus Ego? Tell me everything about the show. Sure. Um, so, the 2024 Student Art Festival is titled Eco versus Ego. And this was a two-year project that really questioned the idea of a symbiotic relationship. So in catching just the last bits of... You're saying all my favorite words. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it's really about this web of life and what our responsibilities and dependencies on and for each other are. And so, and and this is something you've been working on for two years because, I mean, it's been more than that since the last time we saw each other? Yeah. Take me back. It's been probably like 
maybe almost four years since the last time we've sat when together. you were and you had just joined and Guild I just Hall. joined Guild Hall. Yes, but this so this has been uh, putting into perspective. This project has been. Uh, a long stretch of your time with Guildhall. It has, and it's really a, a restructure or a redevelopment of our annual student art festival. Okay. Um, and with this project, this student art festival, Eco versus Ego, we expanded the process period from about three months to two years and connected 20 artists with 15 public schools or after-school programs fantastic. to build collaborative, generative projects that really question eco versus ego, the idea of a symbiotic relationship. And that's been seen through process and material, through concept, and also really through exhibition design. That, that idea has permeated through all aspects of this festival. I'm so glad you guys are taking so much time for this topic. I know Brianna was saying that she's Jeremy Dennis's partner. And I'm thinking, well, geez, Jeremy must think that this is a great topic. Brianna, <laughs> do you want to talk about the topic itself, the concept, and why it's... All right, I'm injecting my personal. Why is it so great that we're taking time and to really examine... Uh, this this topic. I mean, there's so many reasons why it's important, including something that comes up a lot in our conversations uh, that I have with Jeremy is just our how we're all connected and a part of the land out here. Um, right. There's there's not one thing that happens that doesn't impact someone else when it comes to the environment, and so getting younger people to think about that at and start generating ideas and solutions and ways to problem solve around. You know these these things that are happening and that could happen is I think the best time to get at the topic. And Jeremy's actually one of the visiting artists as well. Fantastic! It's nice actually because uh, so he founded and uh, runs Ma's House. We both run together on the Shinnecock Reservation, and he and myself and a few of our alumni. That's staff, where I've seen your name. <laughs> she walks up and I go, "Have I had you on before?" And I was like, "I must have seen your name." That's definitely why. <laughs> that, okay. Yeah, that's probably why. But yeah, we're we're always doing stuff at Ma's house, and uh, we had our ourselves, and then Jeremy's mom, Denise Silva Dennis, as well as two of our alum, Bo Brie and Pamela Allen, were also visiting artists for the Guildhall Student Art Festival. And so it was really exciting as an organization to have such a presence because we're kind of from all over. I'm a recent transplant. We have Jeremy and his mother who are, you know, they have been here forever. And then a couple of our artists who are based in the city who would be coming out here and giving students all these different perspectives. So it was a really fun collaboration in that way as well. We love it. But now we got to find out more about you and where you come from <laughs> and everything and everything. Tell us, tell us everything. Everything. Okay. Um, about the work with the students. No, who you are. Um, well, <laughs> yes, we'll go into that, of course. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm an artist and a curator and an educator and a death doula. All of my artwork is centered around end of life and how we can have more honest and transparent conversations about what it means. Talk about another uh, place where symbiosis is so important. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, that was a big part of what I brought into the work with the students is I have several different series that talk about different aspects of death, 
But the one that I brought to work with them was a series called Aquí Descansamos, which is looking at uh, gra uh, grave markers and burial vessels that are constructed out of natural materials. And how can we reimagine green burial to make it something that's more accessible and more exciting so that people can consider what impact does do you have when you decide like how you want to be buried right. and how you want to be memorialized right. because even even in death we still impact the world around us space is finite also and i and i think about that and i i love to talk i, I had someone to talk about uh, human composting mm. and i love the uh the burial pods where you're at the base of a tree yes <laughs> oh my god i want to be a tree See, and I'm that's saying that's the exact thing like we were going for is like getting people to be excited about these possibilities and inventing their own. You know, and people think about because like I used to be like upset. Oh, living forever and whatever. It, nothing lives forever like like a plant. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I think about how many times I've I've like I have this purple passion. I take it out in the summer and then it grows into this big bush. And then in the fall, I'll take a cutting and and put it in a cup of water and start it over and i think like you know you can just do that forever yeah. or, or or you think of trees that are hundreds of hundreds you think of the tree right down the block <laughs> that is hundreds and hundreds of years old uh, plants are amazing they really are that was actually one of the main metaphor connections when i started making grave markers out of living plants was that the way that they like you said, grow in the spring, in the summer, and then maybe are a little more dormant in the winter, the way that you have to tend to them. It's really symbolic of how grief is. It doesn't end, it just changes. Yes. And you have to be really present with it. And that is how you find healing, not by just, you know, setting something and then, you know, forgetting about it. And it must be so beautiful for the students who have lost someone or who are thinking about you know, their own future. I mean, death is the number one most certain thing in life. It's, it's the biggest yeah. part of life. It really is. I always joke with people about how there's that statistic of, oh, you have a one in whatever million billion chance of being born, but you have a hundred percent chance of dying. dying. Yeah. <laughs> it's something we all, it's something we all get to share together. It's actually a beautiful thing. It really is. And, and living well is one of the most important aspects of that. And I just, I'm loving, I'm loving this concept. So Anthony, tell me, uh, how has it been going? So are you dis are you displaying the works? I mean, this is, is this a culmination of two years? Yeah, so right now um, at Guildhall, um, the Student Art Festival is on display. The, their final projects are all curated in all three of our galleries in a cohesive show. Um, so whoa, yeah. How many works are there? So um, there were about twenty projects, okay. and around a little over four thousand students involved whoa. in the entirety of the exhibition. Oh, this is so cool! So these are twenty group projects. Tw twenty group projects. So, for example, um, Brianna worked with East Hampton High School, and I think it's an incredible example of how an artist can bring their practice into the classroom and work with students where they are to bring the knowledge they do have in sculpture from their incredible teachers, in this case, Ms. Zuberian, um, and put it into a different concept or context. And when you come into the galleries, you'll see 
the work with East Hampton High School and Brianna, it's it's scattered throughout the galleries because it resonates so well with the other projects. There's even a sculpture of a tree pod grave oh, cool. <laughs> that you just mentioned. Wow, stop it. All right, so wait a minute. So did they have two years to work on it? Or was it like a traveling? So it's different for each artist and okay. school pairing. Okay, and every school. Okay. Um, so Brianna went into East Hampton High School in two iterations. Yeah, two batches of sessions. Yeah. Um, within an academic year, but some artists have worked in very different ways. For example, Emma Gans at school and Karen Anavi. Over close to three years, she followed wow. second grade to third grade to fourth grade. With the same With the same kids. students. So not only are we talking you know, about they've been process, doing that with teachers, right? Is that, isn't that like a new... That it is a form of education to follow right. a they grade the te- so that The teacher with the kids. Mm-hmm. I think that's so smart. Because you build comfortability and you can build scaffolding and sequencing of learning in a really different way. Right. So that was the approach we took with this student art festival to really make it a learning experience so that students can connect dots between their creative practice and social practice. This must have just blown you away. Do you want to talk a little bit about some of the projects and uh, some of the aspects that, you know, you just are, uh, you can't believe you know, I am just incredibly grateful to the school districts and the teachers for taking on this type of project. Right. Um, and and it's funny because they probably were really excited to do so. Yeah. You know, I think collaboration is tricky. And especially when you're changing a structure that has been at Guildhall for close to 30 years. Right. Um, but we are so lucky to have incredible teachers, incredible school districts, and so many artists in the area that schools said, all right, let's experiment with this. And I'm really grateful to my colleagues at Guildhall as well, who we've worked really hard. Oh, you've got a great team. Yeah, it is a pretty good team. (laughs) Um, But we've worked really hard to fundraise so that we are paying all our collaborating artists, we are providing oh, wow. supplies, and we are n- not charging any of our public school or after-school programs to re- to receive and be part of this program. Um, it's something that we're quite proud of. So you see those relationships yeah. build on top of the work. I really encourage everyone to come in. Um, so what are some different types of, uh, you know, Sure. So there's that, that... over 300 pieces of handmade paper um, created by Spring School Elementary, second grade through fifth grade. Like they made the paper? They made, like, yeah. I, they I... made paper pulp and then made oh, rectangular. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and it's gorgeous. You know, it's a beautiful sight line. You walk in and it takes up an entire wall. Oh, how cool. And it's it has all these really beautiful pastel colors through natural dyes as well. And that was a collaboration with Pamela Allen, a Ma's House resident alum and Spring School Art. There's also this incredible little dream cottage um, created with West Hampton Beach Elementary School and the guest this artist Lori Lambert. This is an actual stru- it's structure? It's an actual little structure. It almost looks like a salt fox house. Um, and every second grade through fifth grade at West Hampton Beach, they found or received a piece of driftwood. And Lori Lambert talked about her process of of covering or wrapping driftwood with 
we used yarn or textiles to talk about the care for a forgotten object and how do we give comfort to each other. And so we created this small little dream house that is in the center of the gallery. How, Uh, how, how, so when can we see Eco vs. Ego at Guildhall? So the gallery is open Friday through Mondays from 12 to 5. Um, And admission to the Guildhall galleries is always free. So you can feel free to come in and just observe the work. But if you want to learn more about the work in a more in-depth way, if you go on our website, there's several public programs that are still happening throughout the end of the month. Fantastic. Um, For example, this Saturday, um, Spring School, fifth grade, Chorus and the guest artist Viv Coringham, they're doing a pop-up performance in the gallery at around Love 3 p.m. It. So you can come a bit early, see the see the work, and then receive a pop-up chorus of an improvisatory eco choir. Cute. <laughs> so guildhall.org, right? Guildhall.org. And then you just go to what's on and okay. you'll see all these events. But there, there's more. There's a creative lab with Liz Joyce coming up. And this nice. is for adults um, to learn a bit more about. Puppet theater and yeah, I was going to say, doesn't she? Isn't she goats on, Goat a, boat? on a boat? And Goat she worked boat. with Wayne Singular. Scott School and Sagaponic School for the Did they past make year. puppets? Stop they it. made these really sweet puppet theaters. Oh my god! And those are displayed right on the wall. And there's also a video of some students performing their piece. It's yeah, the face you're making is absolutely right. Oh well. So um, cute. Radio programs are notoriously a yes. visual medium. <laughs> what? <I've> got- <laughs> Got my hand over my mouth and I'm, I look like I'm being harmed physically, but it's really just like tiny love daggers in my heart that I'm feeling in a good way. It's the good kind of pain. Yeah. And then I'm giving some, I do a monthly program called Lunch Break, um, which is Fridays at noon. And it's really I'm already in because it sounds like there's food there. Yeah. You know, you can buy a little sandwich or a coffee from our... Yes, you have that that great cafe now. Yeah, a little cafe um, with um, Tuto Cafe, which is really sweet. And we just talk about process and interpretation. Fantastic. Um, So that's on Fridays. Um, There's family gallery tours and workshops that we're also leading. And something that's been really incredible is the amount of school tours... That have come in. Um, yesterday morning, I spent about three hours with these Hampton High School. Friday, more than in in obviously, I guess through the the COVID years. Oh, definitely, it's so exciting. One to see students back in our building, right? Because I mean, we recently got back in the building this right. summer, right? <laughs> so, to right. have all of this happen like a real celebration you, of community. It was funny you were, you're like talking about. You know, taking something that's been at Guild Hall for 30 years and changing it, you know, that's it was a challenge. And I'm thinking like about the Guild Hall renovation and the hullabaloo that's surrounded. I it's gotta look gorgeous. Like can you talk a little bit about how it's looking, how the building looks? Sure. I I think if when you come into Guild Hall, what I think is brilliant is that um the architect and the design team, Peter Panoya Architects. They did a fantastic job of revitalizing a space, but allowing it to keep its identity. Right. So, so, so keeping your identity, but adapting to future uses and, and and the way that theater may be changing. Yeah. You, and, and the museum as well, you walk into Guildhall 
and there are less barriers to entry physically. There are less doors you have to open. I love that. Um, everything is a bit more clean. It's a bit more open and bright. But you know where everything is. We did right. not exceed our footprint. The galleries are where they are. The bathrooms are where they are. Right. You know, going to the Bootslam Education Center, it's the same pathway. Right. But it's updated in a way that you feel a real sense of pride that it's your community. Arts and less center. encumbered yeah. in, in getting into the space. I would say, but that's from someone who... You know, I'm a bit biased. <laughs> I feel the same way. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, uh, before before we end the segment, uh, what's going on at Ma's house? Oh, so much. Um, we actually just finished filling out our full year of residence. So we scheduled people throughout the end of the year. So now we, ha we have a current resident. And now and through December, we have different artists coming in from all over and so you always have them like seriously interesting artists from everywhere oh thanks yeah we... so so who's who's uh resident right now so right now we have a nangukwe wolf who is um multidisciplinary but on friday is hosting an open mic at ma's house so they will share some of their poetry and then open it up to guests. And it's open to the public. Awesome. So folks awesome. can come by. <laughs> um, and so that's something we do with each of our artists. So every time somebody comes, we ask them to do some kind of public program, or workshop or open studio or event or lecture. And this will be uh, on Friday. <laughs> and we have the last few days of our current exhibition, which is called Legacy. And it is showing artwork created during our weekly workshops. So Denise Silva Dennis also teaches beading and leather work and painting every Friday at Ma's house. She's the best. And I know she's amazing. <laughs> she she's a powerhouse. And I bought a I bought a, a leather no, a jean jacket that she painted uh the Shinnecock uh, and she has the emblem on the back from for my munchkin. Oh. And I love, I love it. I love and I love the Dennis's. All right, so mazhouse.studio. Yes. And obviously, I love you. <laughs> I hugged her. She's like, I was like, do I know you? And she's like, no. And I'm like, wrapping my arms around. Mazhouse.studio to find out all the information about yeah. the events. Mm -hmm. And what's the what's the address? How can people find? So Ma's we house? are on the Shinnecock Reservation, okay. and so anytime you so on come to visit, um, we have visitors use the Westgate entrance, so it's okay. off the highway near the. Where the Shinnecock Cultural Center Museum is, like, yes, looks like. Okay, a so you cabin. turn you turn at the Cultural Center. Yeah, that's the visitor entrance. Okay, and we are at one five nine Old Point Road. Okay, so it's all the way at like almost the tip of the reservation of the peninsula, and Got so it. we have a map on our contact page. It's, just, it's like a black line that shows basically how to navigate from the Westgate entrance over to us because it can be a little confusing. GPS doesn't always recognize where you are. <laughs> um, so following that map is your best bet. But we are a bright red house. So it's yeah, like bright, like fire engine red. So you can't miss it. <laughs> uh, as opposed to Guild Hall, which every now and then some people miss that turn and go straight into the hedges. <laughs> and it's very sad. It's very sad. It's a very historic building. But you must make that left if you'd like to get to Guildhall <laughs> and, and keep driving your car. All right. I'm Shana Volpe. That was Anthony Madonna and Brianna Hernandez. Uh, this is Josh Shaka and Mad Professor and you, whoever you are out there. You are awesome. And uh, you're listening to the Heart Morning and Midnight Show 
underwritten by Peconic Landing and Southampton Arts Centre on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, and listeners like you who donate to uh, the place where you can find music you love, news you can trust, and conversations you just can't live without. WLIWFM.
E C O L O G Y. Naturally, the flower on our plant needs a buzzing bee. Everything is connected, we say. We're all related in a special way. No one here likes pollution. A friend she tells me she's got the solution. Recycle paper, cans, and glass. Learn about conservation in your class. Just eat plants. Others, you know, they like to eat ants. Some eat almost anything. The food chain makes me wanna sing about C-O-L-O-G-Y. That's ecology. Fresh air. Clean water. Good soil. Fresh air, clean water, good soil. Yours and mine for the hawk, the whale, and the mountain lion. We all have to share this little planet, this magical place of water, air, and granite. C O L O G Y. That's ecology. That was the Banana Slug String Band. This is Norman Acri, Song of the Summer of 2020 record. This is Ecology on WLIWFM.
Ecology is simple in our minds. We grow as one in our cave. Ecology is simple. All right, I'm going to make this a true Ecoverse Ego edition of the heart and play a few more Eco songs leading you into the NPR news break. Uh, and we'll lead you in with Masha Kritika's Echo Demigo and then Ego Tracks all the way in the second half of this morning's program. All music in the second hour, uh, all for you, the listener supporter of WLIWFM. What do we have right here? This is Ecology. This is from Annie Rossi's Rockwell record of 2009 here on the Heart Morning and Midnight Show, featuring music from all decades and genres and interviews with folks from all walks of life, all because of you, the listener supporter, donating to WLIWFM.org. I'm Gianna Volpe. Whoever you are out there, you're awesome. Mojito Light. Eco on WLIWFM. 
Echo, excuse me. Díselo, 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 que la amo. Echo, repítale a mi amor. Díselo, 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 que la amo. Hazle saber lo que siento cuando la veo. Cuando me gusta saborear sus besos. Dile también que me llena por completo. Que vive aquí en mi corazón y en mis sueños Por eso llévale en tu voz todo mi calor Repítele lo que yo siento Asegúrate que te esté oyendo Que sepa cuánto es que la quiero lo necesitaba ella es el hilo conductor de mi alma es el motor que mantiene mi esperanza ella es la otra mitad que me faltaba por eso llévala en tu voz todo mi calor repite lo que yo siento Cuánto es que la quiero La última vez que la tuve tan cerquita de mí la sensación que estaba volando Yo la abracé Como el que sabe que la puede perder Y desde entonces me tiene esperando Eco, repítele a mi amor Díselo, díselo, díselo Que la amo Eco, repítele a mi amor Díselo, 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 que la amo. Estoy gritando que regrese, estoy perdiendo la voz. Solo te pido eco que lo intentes. Asegúrate que te esté oyendo, que sepa cuánto es que la quiero. Leading you into the NPR news break with Echo de Meigo, Masha Critica, a single from 2020. Ego tracks in the second half of the show, all in honor of the Ecoverse Ego Student Art Festival at Guildhall, guildhall.org. For more.
Long Island local news on Thursday, February 1st, 2024. I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. The town of Islip is moving forward with a contract that will allow analysis and testing of chemical contamination at Long Island MacArthur Airport, which was declared a state Superfund site last February. Brianne Letta reporting on Newsday.com that the agreement with the New York State Department of Con- Environmental Conservation will allow the agency, along with the State Department of Health, to proceed with a more thorough investigation of the site, a step that's required before cleanup can begin. As owner and operator of the airport, Islip will be responsible for covering the cost of cleaning up contamination at MacArthur, a price tag yet to be determined, according to the DEC. Last year, the DEC confirmed it found P- uh, PFAS. Uh, at levels that exceed applicable standards. Uh, The site was listed as a possible Superfund site in 2018 over concerns that past use and storage of uh, perfluorooctane sulfonate, or PFOS, P-F-O-S, a chemical found in firefighting foams used at airports, could have contaminated drinking water supplies. The substances, also known as forever chemicals, because they don't break down easily, have been linked to immune system problems, cancers, and other health impacts, according to the EPA. Officials from town uh, environmental and water quality agencies repeatedly have said public water in the area is safe to drink. Once the agreement is finalized, the town of Islip will submit plans for the investigation and public participation to the DEC and Department of Health for review. Residents may register for regular updates on the cleanup process on the DEC website. Here in Southampton, the management and board of directors at SYS recently decided to serve a time out to the group of pickleball players who routinely show up at the facility off Major's Path in North Sea for open play on weekday mornings on the indoor multi-purpose rink. Keelan Riley reporting on 27East.com that an email sent on January 23rd stated that due to ongoing issues and behaviors by pickleball participants, the SYS Board of Directors and Management has decided to suspend open pickleball play from Wednesday, January 24th through Monday, February 5th. The SYS-run Pickleball League, which meets Tuesdays and Thursdays, was not suspended and will continue to play. During the suspension of open play, the email 
informed participants that SYS would be reassessing pickleball times, usage, and code of conduct and would send updated information and policies out to members shortly. The email warned that if the inappropriate behavior continued after the resumption of open pickleball play, the community would be at risk of losing court time permanently. SYS Executive Director Scott Johnson said the main reason for the temporary suspension was for everyone to have a chance to reset and have a chance to reassess why they come here, i.e. a timeout for the pickleball players. Johnson said he had received multiple complaints from staff members about the behavior of the pickleball players. Quote, to have my staff verbally abused on multiple occasions is unacceptable, especially from adults, he said. He didn't elaborate on the specifics of the alleged verbal abuse, but uh, said my first job is to protect my staff. Without them, there is no rec center. We're all blessed to have this 65,000-square-foot facility, and we should all be thankful. And quote, and play nice with each other. Wag of the finger. All right. And finally, I mentioned that Gene Casey will be at Bay Street on Saturday night in poems for world peace at Canio's Books, not to mention the fact that it is Harbor Frost, uh, but also on Saturday night, the first of two Black History events at LTV Studios amidst collaboration with Eastville Community Historical Society, both of which are free and open to the public. The first presentation again this Saturday, 7 p.m. on groundbreaking Black Comedians. Sydney Poitier story is the second, set for Sunday, February 25th at 7 p.m. For more info, go to ltveh.org and keep listening to The Heart. Uh, Dr. Georgette Greer-Key likely to be joining us ahead of uh, the Sydney Poitier event. Um, and yes, also on Saturday, I'll give a shout to Rory Kelly, Nico Patton, and two other musicians playing at Rockwood Music Hall in the city from 6 to 8, another free event. Um, back to Black History, Kevin Bird will be joining us at the bottom of this hour to talk about uh, not only Black History, but International Prostate Cancer Awareness, which is this month, reading the weather in East Hampton, looking like a mostly cloudy Thursday with a high near 42 degrees, southwest wind 9 to 13 miles per hour. Rain likely tonight, mainly between 10 p.m. and 4 a.m. Uh, cloudy otherwise with a steady temperature around 38 degrees, southwest wind 6 to 8 miles per hour. Right now it's 40 degrees. I've got the chance edition playing out Noah and the Whale, John Lennon and Yoko Ono, the plastic uh, Ono ban. Uh, and then that uh, Dan Auerbach track around which I uh, wrapped this whole playlist. It's got that spirit in the sky kind of vibe. Every chance I get, I want you in the flesh. And we'll go back to 87 with Bruce Coburn's uh, You Pay Your Money and You Take Your Chance. It's the chance edition of The Heart here on WLIWFM. But first, Stefan Grappelli, we're taking a chance on love right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. News you can trust, music you love. Broadcasting on 88.3 FM throughout eastern Long Island, 
in coastal Connecticut, 96.9 in central and western Suffolk County, streaming online at WLIW.org slash radio.
eyes, it's all I see Among the canyons and the stars You're the guide inside my heart I'm just waiting for my chance to come And you're just looking for a way out of here You're a way to see this old life all disappear Take a gamble on your heart It'll lead you through the dark You're just waiting for your chance to come Cause it's hard to feel like you're worth something in this life When you're walking next to me, I can hear my body speaking We're just waiting for a chance to come We're just waiting for a chance to come
that Dan Auerbach track I was talking about. With that very spirit in the sky vibe. Dan Auerbach on Long Island's only local NPR radio station on this day one of Black History Month. It's the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour, a little after 1 o'clock if you're listening to the replay. Uh, And that means it's time for our segment, underwritten by William Riss Gallery, welcoming on to the program for his first time, Kevin Bird. He served as the chairman of health for the local chapter of the 100 Black Men of America. 
uh, incorporated the Long Island African-American Chamber of Commerce as well. Uh, And he is the president and founder of the Brown Bird Foundation. Uh, So we're not just talking Black History Month. We're also talking about the fact that this is uh, International Prostate Cancer Awareness Month. You tell you tell me, Kevin. Hello. Good day. My name is Kevin Bird. Hi, how are you? Good. Good. How are you doing? Very well. Very (laughs) grateful to have you on. Thank you. Glad to be on. Um, Actually, prostate, what's going to be happening is tomorrow, February the 2nd, is going to be the 16th annual International Prostate Cancer Awareness Observance Day. That's tomorrow. That's in honor of the men who've been diagnosed and those who've died of prostate cancer. In honor, in honor of the Brown Bird Foundation's work, spearheaded by me as the president of the Brown Bird Foundation. So that's taking place tomorrow. Okay, so it's, the it's, not, it's not like Prostate Cancer Awareness Month, but there is a day dedicated. Yes, it's a, okay. a day dedicated to Prostate Cancer Awareness Observance Day tomorrow, so February t- the 2nd, 2024. So tell me everything. Tell me, tell me about a prostate cancer and and why it's so important for folks to uh, make sure that they get their screenings. I imagine it's the same story as as why uh, we tell folks to make sure they stay on top of uh, mammograms and and other uh, gynecological screenings. Definitely. About for the statistics for the American Cancer Society, about 299,010 new cases of prostate cancer will arise this year alone. About 35,250 deaths of prostate cancer will happen this year. And one in eight men will be diagnosed with prostate cancer. About one in 44 men will die of prostate cancer as well. And the importance of getting screened and tested for prostate cancer, it's called a silent killer a lot of times you may not know that you have prostate cancer, but you have to take two, 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 two tests, the PSA and the DRE, two, two detectable tests that you can take to determine whether or not you have been diagnosed with prostate cancer. And the Brown Bird Foundation, underneath my leadership for the past many over 20 years, over 20 plus years, we've been advocating for prostate cancer since my grandfather died of prostate cancer. And the co-founder, Blossom Brown, her grandfather died of prostate cancer as well. I'm so Back sorry. in 1999. I'm yeah, so that's sorry. okay. But that's why we're advocating. Yeah, that's why we're advocating so much for prostate cancer because both of our grandfathers died of prostate cancer when we were in uh, our our junior year in college at Long Island University. That's where I attended and got my, my bachelor's degree. And as well as Mrs. Blossom Brown got her degree as well. And we wrote a short film called The Last Days. And it was about a young man who was diagnosed with cancer and had a normal life, had a great family, had friends, had a girlfriend, and, uh, and it was come to this disease of prostate cancer. And, uh, what happened was Chris Frierson, uh, my director for the film and the producer, he directed a great piece of body of work. And I, as a thespian, because many people don't know that my name is, is Kevin Bird, and I am a, a thespian, uh, an actor, for those who don't know what thespian means. I've been in the show business since I was, ooh, God, this is my 35th year of hard work in the community, serving as an actor as well, as an entertainer, and all the other hats I wear in my life, in my life's work. And uh, with the last days, we 
decided to just use the the work as the film to screen it at the Spike Lee Screening Theater at LIU Long Island Long Island at Long Island University, and um, from there, the screen screening got a lot of great reviews and got some media traction. And me and Blossom and our team at the time, the uh, we didn't have a nonprofit at the time. We were just advocates for prostate cancer through our, our film. We we traveled all over just trying to get the film so screened that's what, and it, that's, showcased. And that's the that. type. That's the type of cancer in the last days that you mentioned. The young man. Yeah. Okay. So so, uh, are we to, are, when we're talking about encouraging? folks to get screened uh, for prostate cancer are we talking about everyone here like what as far as age uh, who is this oh yeah definitely 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 well it's affecting men 40 and up uh it's very rare that a man 40 and below will be generally yeah it's really rare a man 40 and below will be diagnosed with prostate cancer but it's really uh for men to be screened for 40 and up to get screened um and so it's very important, it's very imperative that men do go see their urologist. It's easy to uh, say, well, I feel fine, and so there must be nothing wrong. But as you mentioned, this is a silent killer. Are there uh, any symptoms that, that folks might, ex- be ex- might experience that could, co- could be? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, y- urination. When you go to the bathroom to urinate, there's going to be some swelling in your gland, prostate gland, and there will be difficulties in using the bathroom. There will be a lot of uh, pain when you urinate and uh, you, when you have urination, things of that of that nature. And it might, if you have, if you're when you're urinate, if there's blood, you definitely need to contact your urologist or your physical doctor, your primary doctor, right away. But no man. matter what, if you're 40 and up, uh, how how often? Should folks get screened uh, and get checked out? Well, as often when you get forty, starting forty and up, you should get screened annually. Okay. And when you are sixty-five and up, still annually. And if you are diagnosed with prostate cancer, there's a lot of great medical uh, treatments and things like that you can go through to be cured of uh, some of the symptoms that you might have with prostate cancer but you know with cancer there is no cure for any type of cancer right now but things could go on remission and things like that of that nature yes ma'am and you want to catch it as early as possible i imagine catch it as uh, yes you want to catch it as early as possible yes that's correct so how cool is it that the uh, niagara falls are going to be lit from 10 to 10 15 tomorrow night in honor of of this uh, it reminding folks to get screened Yes, yes. Tomorrow night at 10 to 10, 10 p.m. to 10:15, the Niagara Falls Illumination Board have joined forces with Brown Bird Foundation for the past 13, 12 years. Excuse me, for the past 12 years, and they've been illuminating the falls in honor of on the Canadian side and on the United States borders of America side to illuminate in blue because that is the international color for prostate cancer is blue. So it will be illuminated in blue in honor of the men who have died and those who have been diagnosed with this insinuous disease. So you have been, uh, you know, uh, president, co-founder of Brown Bird Foundation, as you mentioned, for, for quite for quite a while. In those years, mm-hmm. uh, have there been changes in the, you know, the medical industry or, or in anything that you have found solace in that that uh, good news is there is there good news here 
Yeah, there is good news. The, there has been a decline in the amount of men that have been diagnosed with prostate cancer from the, from 1997 to 2013 up into today as well through research and more men are going to get screened for prostate cancer and more men are being diagnosed and getting the proper treatments that they need. Yes, ma'am. Fantastic. Oh, and hey, so I, I just wanted to return to uh, your years at LIU. Did you go to college? Did you just go to college at, at uh, Long Island University? Is that what brought you here? Where did you grow up, Kevin? Yes, actually, I'm from a small town in Utica, New York. And uh, I would like to say hello to everybody who's listening, and primarily uh, the Natick County History Center Museum um, under the executive direction of Mrs. Rebecca McLean, because she actually, her whole entire staff and volunteers, they did an exhibit on the Brown Bird Foundation's work and my work uh, back in April. Yeah, they had a museum exhibit, and I became one of the first youngest African-American men in the country, probably in the state of New York, to have a museum exhibit highlighting the work that I've done for prostate cancer throughout throughout the Mohawk Valley and throughout the state of New York. Hello, and, to, uh, hello to everyone. The museum, yeah, keep going. Yeah, hello to everybody, especially to Mrs. Rebecca McLean. She she uh, approved this uh, beautiful exhibit that they did in honor of my foundation's work back in April 2021. The exhibit ran from April 2021 to the end of July 2021, and it it just brought a, a, a new awareness to the community about this young African American man's work, Fantastic. and it was called History Makers, yes. and. Um, it created a really great historical value in my hometown of Utica, and uh, the Brown Bird Foundation also received an honorary street called Brown Bird Lane. Approved? Uh, yes, yes, yes. It's approved by the Utica City Council, and um, it's it's just been a lot of great work. And there's a, a, a personal Kevin Bird Day that's proclaimed in my hometown on October 1st, going uh, on 20 years, my 20th we're, we're, we're year. We're yeah. celebrating, you know, first day of, of Black History. We're celebrating you, Kevin. And hey, uh, we, <laughs> we gotta you. give Thank we gotta you. give a shout out to to Phil Andrews who hooked us up. Yes. Uh, in if yes. you want to talk about about Phil and and your relationship with him, how you got to know him. Yes. Actually, Phil actually became my publicist uh, first when I was like 20 years old. My manager at the time, her name is Nigeria Anderson. She, uh, she, she, when we were working on The Last Days, she's the one who brought the idea, you know, that we should promote the film The Last Days about prostate cancer. And I said, well, that's a great idea. And then, you know, we're also finishing up The Last Days, the film, the short film. My grandfather and Blossom Brown's grandfather was to come to this insidious disease. And uh, Phil came on board to be my PR rep, and he's been working with me since I was 20 years old. Now I'm 43, so we've been working together for uh, over 20-plus years, and he's done a fantastic job working with me as my publicist. And also, he said, Kevin, you know, you do so much work, and you're doing so much good work in the community with prostate cancer. Why don't you come and serve as my health chairman with uh, the 100 Black Men of America? And I said, yes, of course. And I said, yes, of course, I would love to work with you. And not only did we fight prostate cancer through the 100 Black Men of America, but we we uh, brought awareness to all areas of health and wellness and concerns through the, uh, the 100 Black Men of America chapter, through the Long Island chapter. And then um, that was the tenure with that was very successful. Then Phil Andrews got promoted to be the, the president of the, the largest 
African American Chambers of Commerce called uh, well, the largest the largest chambers of commerce called the Af- Long Island African American Chambers of Commerce. And um, I said, Kevin, would you be willing to come serve with me as my health chairman and as you know, with the Chambers of Commerce, of course, I would love to serve you from on behalf of the state of New York as the health chairman. And uh, we did a lot of great work together. We did a, a plethora of work together. There's so many people that I worked together. We did a lot of screenings for not just prostate cancer, but all areas of health. And we did we did uh, youth youth empowerment. We did men's empowerment. We did uh, symposiums. We did a lot of work to, in I health just, fairs. We did a lot hearing- of work. I love hearing the story of, of, you know, people lifting one another up, taking, uh, you know, taking people with them as they rise. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, so we, yes. we, we want to yes. remi- remind, we are over our time, but I want to remind folks uh, to schedule a PSA or DRE examination with their urologist. Yeah. Uh, for more information, they can go to brownbirdfoundation.org. That's B-Y. R.D. And before I let you go, uh, Kevin, is there is there a figure in black history that you want to bring attention to on today, the first day of the month? Yes, yes, there is. I would like to bring attention to a, a phenomenal figure. His name is Lieutenant John R. Fox. I had, I had the liberty of working and uh, working with Al Roker, Samuel Jackson, and Bernie Mac in uh, in a beautiful documentary called Honor Deferred. And I starred as Lieutenant John R. Fox, and Stop he killed it. 100 drummers. Still, yes, I did, and it's it's an award nominated uh, a documentary that they did. And the doc the documentary is actually now available for purchase at the um, the World War Two. American Museum, and okay. I think it's located down in New Orleans you, somewhere. Oh, but okay. you could look, and you could look, you could look it up on the World War II Museum, or to American Museum, and you could you could get the uh, honor deferred. Starring yours truly, Kevin Bird, and I started as Lieutenant John R. Fox. He killed 100 German soldiers all by himself in the World World War II, and out of 1.2 so million African American soldiers, it's not the one in. Not sorry to step on you. It's not the one in Gettysburg, right? In in uh, Pennsylvania, no, 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 it's down in in New Orleans. You said it's it's in New Orleans. Okay. I believe it's or Am I right? It, am I correct? Am I correct? I'm, I'm so gonna sorry. Make sure. I'm, no, it's okay. I'm not right. On. So there is. So yes. the National World War II Museum. It's national www.numeral2museum.org for information uh, about that. It's it's and on magazine Magazine Street in New Orleans. Sorry, Kevin. Keep going. And uh, no, that is. Thank you so much for correcting me. No, but uh, I, did, I got I a chance to start as lieutenant. <laughs> I, <just laughs> I got a chance to, to start sure. as lieutenant. Oh, definitely. I got a chance to start as lieutenant John R. Fox, and uh, it was a great honor to start as a historical figure. And he received the Congressional Medal of Honor from uh, President, um, or his wife did, Mrs. Arlene Fox. She received the Congressional Medal of Honor in honor of her husband's heroic acts by President Clinton in 1997, and then 50 years later, they, in 1997, well, 50 years before he got the the Congressional Medal of Honor, it took them years and decades before they realized of the heroic acts to seven legendary soldiers, what they did in World War II. And out of 1.2 million 
African-American soldiers, seven of them received the, the highest Medal of Honor, and I got a chance to star as one of the, uh, the Congressional Medal of Honors honorees, yes. Lieutenant John R. Fox, and they made a, a G.I. Joe doll and the likeness of him, and it was big. Yeah. And uh, it was, so it was it looks, So let's see, he was in the honor. 92nd Infantry Division, known as the Buffalo Soldiers, a segregated mm-hmm. African. Mm-hmm. So he was, one, he was one of the Buffalo Soldiers. Uh, he was a forward yes, observer of the 598th Artillery Battalion supporting the 366th Infantry Regiment. Uh, it looks like on mm-hmm. December 26, 1944, he was part of a small forward observer party that volunteered to stay mm-hmm. behind in the Italian village of uh, Somo Colonia in the Serchio yes, River Valley. Uh, American forces had been forced to withdraw from the village. It was overrun by the Germans. Uh, from his position on the second floor of a house, he called in defensive artillery fire as the Wehrmacht soldiers continued attacking. He radioed the artillery to bring its fire closer to his position, eventually ordering yep. to fire directly the on fire his attack, position. Um, this soldier who received the message was his close friend, Lieutenant Otis Zachary, who uh, passed in 2009. He was stunned. He knew uh, Fox had little chance to survive, but Fox said, fire it. Mm-hmm. There's more of them than there are of us. Than us. Give them hell. Wow. Yes. So and approximately I, and I said 100 those famous words. Wow. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah. So you said and those. I just wanted to say that he was such a historical figure. And uh, I wanted to say that one last thing before I let you guys go. Next year. On uh, spring 2025, I was in. I was included in the Who's Who in America history biographical history books, and uh, it's coming out next year in uh, spring 2025. And uh, I am so humbled that uh, all the work that I was doing, I've been doing in the community at large, and where all the many hats I've worn uh, has paid off. And uh, we love to hear so, those, um, ty- those type of stories. Yeah, so next year, next, yeah, so next year, please, it's the seventh, it's the 77th edition. It's been around since 1829, eight, eight, no, 1898, excuse me, mm-hmm. the history book, the Who's Who in America, and they uh, they inducted my work and inducted my last work in the, in the history books, mm-hmm. and I'm really humbled by this, and, uh, you know, if you get a chance, check out the brownbirdfoundation.org. It, 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 please donate as little as one dollar or more to our cause and help us to keep fighting. Well, I know, I know, we, I know and, we can't, uh, we can't uh, fundraise for, for other organizations oh, directly, okay. but okay. we can, okay. but we can direct folks to find out more information at brownbirdfoundation.org. Yes, I'm that's, Gianna that's, that's my foundation. That's uh, yes. Kevin Bird. Congratulations to you. This is Bruce Coburn and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM, this edition underwritten by William Risk Gallery and listeners like you who donate to WLIWFM.org. We'll be back. Chucky beats it down the alley by the chicken packers. By the time I reach the corner, they've all vanished. Just a deaf kid.
get talking like Popeye to a large, fleshy, laughing man in a blue shirt. You pay your money and you take your chance when you're dealing with love and romance. Pay your money and you take your chance when you're dealing with love and romance. Down the alley past the fire escape, a woman is talking on the telephone. Kitchen light spills out laughter, riding on its beam. In the maze of Mobius streets, we're trying to amuse ourselves to death under the deep sky that's squatting so close over us tonight. You think it was trying to hatch us? The numb and confused, the battered and bruised, the counters of cost and the star-crossed, will you? On the heart, Morphine, Teddy Joyce and his band, and Lou Reed leading you into the NPR news break. And the end of a live broadcast week for the heart, we are going to be on behind the headlines this weekend. So tomorrow will be a badass evergreen. I feel like I'm still here. So check out what theme gets chosen. 
Today's theme was chance. And if you have a chance, check out our archive at WLIW.org slash radio. If you're interested. <laughs> Must be nice to be steady. It must be nice to be firm. It must be nice never to move off of the mark. It must be nice to be dependable and never let anyone down. It must be great to be all the things you're not. It must be great to be all the things that I'm not. I see you in the hospital, your humor is intact I'm embarrassed by the strength I seem to lack If I was in your shoes, so strange that I am not I'd fold up in a minute and a half I'd fold up in a minute and a half And I didn't get a chance to say goodbye no, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. 
must be nice to be normal. It must be nice to be cold. It must be nice not to have to go up or down. But me, I'm all emotional. No matter how I try, you're gone and I'm still here alive. You're gone and I am still alive. And I do get a chance to say goodbye. Oh, oh, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. There are things we say we wish we knew, and in fact we never do. But I wish I'd known that you were going to die. Then I wouldn't feel so stupid, such a fool that I didn't call. And I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. I didn't get a chance to say goodbye No, there's no logic to this Who's picked to stay or go If you think too hard, it only makes you mad But your optimism made me think You really had it beat So I didn't get a chance to say goodbye 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 Oh, 